Do you love and hate the hospitality industry? Then you are in the right spot. Join your hosts, Kyle and Sarah, Sean Walsheth, and Jensen Cummings as they talk shop and give real insights into the latest restaurant news and most pressing issues facing hospitality professionals today. Welcome in to the Restaurant Idea Factory. Hey, welcome in to Restaurant Idea Factory today, Wednesday, April 12th. That's Sean. He's really excited to be here. Kyle is closed Monday. Also excited to be here. I am Jensen. Open Wednesday. Into Happy Wednesday, everybody. And this is our second live show. So if you're watching this live right now, 2.15 p.m. Eastern, 11.15 a.m. on the West Coast, we are going to be interacting on LinkedIn, on where the hell else are we on facebook on youtube i don't, know. I don't even know where we where we stream this show to <laughs> into the interwebs playoff uh, but it was great last week we got to interact with uh, with a bunch of people it was really cool they got into the segments they asked us questions we got hazed a little bit all the things that we really love so if you're watching this live please do interact if you're watching this on replay go ahead and jump into those comments anyway we always want to hear from you we want to know how we're doing and we want to know what the hell you want us talking about all right so this episode is riff 16 we're talking cloud chef ai replaces cooks restaurants versus applebee's and the three l's of restaurant real estate of retail real estate landlord lease location if you don't know now you know we're also going to be talking about Hell, we're launching two new segments today, right at the front end, and then towards the back of the show, we're going to launch two new segments. Very excited about those, so make sure you check those out. We're talking about catering by delivery, some logistics there. We're talking about drones flying over your home, and we're talking about the always gut-wrenching one-star review. Oh, the one-star review. That's brutal. You got any? You guys got a one-star review story? Kyle? I can give him a one-star review today after the experience I had the other day. That's for oh, Apparently, let's start there. Of course, Sean. Kyle's going to jump right into shitting in somebody's cereal. Here we go. Sorry. Bong, leave, it, leave, it, leave it to Connecticut. And that's, I love that's it. Let's go. Oh, man. <laughs> okay. You, then you, how about this? I'll paint the picture. You tell me what review you would do. Oh, okay. 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 We get sat. The table is facing... The dishwasher pit where the dishwasher is cutting onions next to dirty dishes facing like eight feet away okay order the food food comes my wife ordered a side of avocado the avocado looked like it was cut yesterday and left on a it was brown oxidized completely oxidized so my wife says actually can i have i'll have you know the side of fruit or the side of potatoes whatever else the other side could have been she's like yeah sure doesn't come never comes back Okay, 10 minutes later, ask like the bus boy, hey, can we just get a side of potatoes? He goes, tells the waitress, they want the potatoes. After she already acknowledged that the avocado was garbage. She says, you comes back and doesn't say, doesn't say anything about it. She says, you can't talk to the bus boy about placing an order. I'm the server. Yeah, I've heard that. I know that one. Then, then uh, proceeds to chastise us as to that, well, that's what you ordered. Right, so that goes on anyway. So that was our experience. The table next to us ordered a sandwich, didn't want it on the bread, but wanted it on a croissant. They refused to bring it out on the bread for presentation purposes, said they would oh. bring the croissant out 
and she could put it on herself at the table. Yeah, Is that a uh, you're, you're right. You're right. <laughs> you're right. Defend my here. But, but I think we know the first conversation that we have is is within whatever you know communication flow that they have to the person that needs to know that information. It's not like you don't you you Everybody walk out, you don't say shit, and that. then you blast them on Yelp for sure. I just won't go back. That's my thing. Yeah, yeah, and that's that, was that the that's, Cuban restaurant? No, I love no. the Cuban restaurant. Love the Cuban restaurant. See, that's deadlier than a one star review. Actually, is just the never come back. You just don't know. You have no opportunity. So, well, we'll get into that. That's a. <laughs> That's a good. That's a good way to start. Are we in the? We're not going to put people on blast, or are we? Do you put that place on blast? Do we not? I don't know what our what our stance is here on the show. I remember I put Panera on blast pretty big, but maybe if you if you have ten more units, your your fair game will put you on blast. Less than ten units will 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 spare you the indignity of of putting I, you on blast. <laughs> I would reach out to them like on Instagram and just let them know my experience. Cause I do, I do, yeah. I did love the place prior to it was really, it was almost like shocking that that happened. So, mm. but yeah, and you know, it can be an isolated incident. Could be. It's worth them. Hey, Sean loves those, those screenshots, man. Why don't you DM that on Instagram screenshot, the digital hospitality. Let's show it on the show. If they step up and then we can put their name out there and then now we're not putting them on blast. We're, we're putting them on a pedestal because they yeah. made it right. I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna hit them up right now while we're on the show. Let's see if they get back to us. Do it. Oh man, let's put it up live. Like, <laughs> <laughs> let's put it up live. We couldn't do a better job of that. Well, it's great. We're, reading reviews is coming up, but apparently we just jumped right into into reading right. reviews this morning. Sean, what's going on with you? How's Clubhouse today? What was the convo? Clubhouse, Clubhouse was how to build a media company. It's one of our favorite topics. Sick. Well, shit, I saw that. And I was just dicking around the last hour. Damn it, man. I don't know what I don't know what to tell you. We're a model of consistency. You know where to find us every Wednesday, every Friday, 10 a.m. Pacific time on the social audio app. Clubhouse, join us. That's how you can be a part of the show. That's how you can be a part Even of the show. Even Jensen. It, Kyle comes more than Jensen. Kyle's a, a, a constant contributor. Jensen comes and he just lurks. I'm like, I'm I raise your, I raise his hand. I'm like, come up on stage. He's like, no rejection. No. rejection. Get it out of here. To come up no, on stage. I'm not coming up yet. on stage. Oh, allotted time. These allotted time slots. Well, half the time at that time, I like have have the the baby mm -hmm. girl and stuff, so I can listen. But if I got on, shit would get wild, get yeah. loud all of a sudden. Mm -hmm. And I've already heard Troy Troy Hooper and Stover. Are the best at like baby in the background. They're just unflappable. Oh, yeah. They just keep talking through babies screaming in the background. They're famous for that. <laughs> They're kids. Oh, love it. All right. Feeling good. Let's get let's get right into this. So we are going to launch a new segment. We talk about this a lot. Tech. Tech stack is our new segment because we found ourselves so often commenting on a new company emerging in the space, a new technology emerging in the space, an update to a feature, a service, a product for companies established in the space. A lot of team ups. We have another team up where we, we hear Toast and Google are teaming up. What's the ramifications of that? Things of that nature. So for all restaurateurs out there, anybody making those decisions, anybody pulling their fucking hair out because of the technology decisions that they need to make within their restaurant, we're gonna try to alleviate some of that pressure Sometimes it's going to feel like we're putting more pressure on you because we are all in on us being 
technology first in a lot of areas within the restaurant hospitality space. So anything else? What else are you guys feeling about this about this segment? Sean, what else do we need to make sure during Tech Stack we're delivering for our for our audience? Uh, I mean, Tech Stack is one of the things we talk the most about, and I think it's crucial to running. I mean, it, it's digital hospitality. I'm I'm very excited about the Tech Stack uh, <laughs> because as somebody that spends as much time talking about it as I do, every time, I mean, I can't tell you how many different new companies that I learn of when I go to a trade show, how many new companies pitch me on LinkedIn or pitch me on, on an email that I had no idea that they integrated with a different company that we already work with. Um, so yeah, I, I, I'm always all in on tech stack. Yeah. And we've interacted with what, I don't know, Kyle, close to 2000 tech companies in the restaurant and hospitality space. It's wild. And we've never heard of most of them and so it's it's also for us to educate ourselves and kind of be connected and, and see who's moving and shaking a lot of them are starting to sh- almost become journalist sources for us where they're sharing information they're sa- sharing some inside baseball so that's valuable for us to kind of be in a position to then translate because here's the other thing tech companies listen to this we probably just need to clip this nobody understands the terminology that you're using to dry, try and describe your product and service and the solution that it solves too many of the things that we read even companies that we love sean just shared something with us where they don't understand the language that's happening within the restaurants and so much of the language is very buzzword and it's what maybe i don't know venture capitalists want to hear because it sounds like that's going to be a billion dollar company the reality is the restaurant side they're not understanding it so that's a lot of our jobs to be those translators for people in the space. So we, we need to really start to communicate on the same level and we're not speaking the same language. So I think we're gonna end up in those types of conversations within tech stack quite a bit. So let's get right into that because I didn't understand what the hell this company did either. So let's talk AI, it's what's for dinner. Silicon Valley startup Cloud Chef says its artificial intelligence software could be the future for restaurants. This is by Laura Saria and Eater San Francisco. So are we live? We're live. Why why don't we have the cool thing like we did last week? What's the cool thing? The yeah. cool thing where we saw the chats. No, nobody's chatted. Nobody's no, nobody's interested in commenting on what we're saying. We have to say something interesting before people will are, banter with are, us. Is apparently. this is this being streamed live? Is the question on it all is the indeed. platforms? Okay. Well, it's live. We're at 10 minutes and 22 seconds of live stream. You hear him saying MySpace? We were on MySpace in the beginning. It's happening. Ah, and there you go. There's Kelsey. Hi, Kelsey. Thank you. <laughs> I, I, I'm just doing a mic check. Just yeah, yeah. We need sure. Kelsey to mic check. Making sure the us. internet That's works. Crazy. Thank is you. This how we talking to anybody? Yeah. Is this thing on? Is it just us? <laughs> Hello. Hello. There we go. Josh, Josh Benning. So tired of hearing every tech company lead with the letters AI. Yes. Yeah, there's a lot AI. of there's a lot of AI. Everything is AI. Now it's I'm not sure. Does AI mean a robot? Does it mean a, a computer program? Yeah. What does AI mean? I don't even know. I don't know. I, I think I definitely think that that's doing a disservice, considering you know the industry's hesitancy to like move forward with technology historically. Right? Like you start talking over their heads, it's just a shutdown. No. Instantly. Like, yeah. Don't. Like, Instantly. I think we're trying to seem too smart. Like our solution must be so important so crucial to your business that you don't understand any of the words that we're talking about. That must mean we're so smart that we have the answer that you need. And yeah. I'm not a big believer in that approach at all. So, so what this company basically does 
is they have a technology that they can basically be able to mirror a chef's exact motions and techniques and almost capture that and then be able to digitize that and turn it into a step-by-step process that anybody could recreate. So they talked about a restaurant, um, Eton in, in San Francisco, uh, that the chef there, like Michelin starred chef, basically made his curry dish. They did what they do through their technology. This it feels like it's almost like you have to wear a green suit with little balls on it, like motion capture to the you know, and yes, yes. with Tiger Woods golf or something. But basically, they're trying to have the AI be able to mirror those actions and those steps. And then they also have a delivery service that you can order a handful of items that they've then replicated and a random person who has no, you know, Michelin star credibility or culinary skills can reproduce that dish. So it's not actually robots creating the dish. It's the technology that creates this step-by-step process for somebody who has no idea who can then replicate this. So I still don't understand quite how you do that. What do you guys think? I mean, it sounds an awesome way to grow your restaurant, right? Like if it's actually true. If you, you can, can do it. Yeah, right. Maybe you can replicate it. A lot of ifs, but I mean, you can replace the chef. I mean, replicate the chef rather. That seems like a, a no-brainer. But what happens if it's unplugged? It runs out of batteries. Yeah, and also, you know, substitution. Somebody wants something yeah. more or less X, Y, and Z, and the whole shit falls apart. I mean, I think eventually you can kind of uh, account for so many different variables in that in that process. I also instantly, I don't know, I thought about supply chain, you know, because it talked about specific herbs and spices. You don't need to know what coriander is or how to utilize it because they've already captured that information and are just articulating it in a very specific way so that you can reproduce that item. But what if you can't get coriander because of supply chain issues? How then are you managing and balancing the ever-changing, you know, Josh is in here watching. He asked us about his chef working on new menu items. And one of the things is like, you're going to have to be able to bob and weave ebb and flow quite a bit now, maybe more than ever. So I'm interested, you know, on that front, Sean, when you're thinking about somebody taking your process of making ribs, right, and being able to take that out of, you know, your couple of, of masters there at the pit, how do you feel about that? I feel great about it. Let's do it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's fantastic. What are you talking about? <laughs> Well, let's, let's, let's call these guys. Let's get them down there and, and start making ribs. He's like, what am I going to? Yeah, where are they? Perfect. Sounds great. How do we do it? Sign me, <laughs> sign me up. Well, I think we just call Cloud Chef. Let's get a hold of them and say, hey, listen, guys, we're going we're gonna to need you guys to beta this down in Spring Valley. I mean, I, I will. I will always. I am not a fan of nostalgia. I'm not going to do things one way because they need to be done that way. There is a craft to everything that we do. There is a craft to hospitality. There is a craft to food. There will always be a human element. But there, a lot of things are repetible. Like if it's a process that goes into repetition, you know, why, why does the entire process need to be handled with hands? When there's hands, there's mistakes. When there's hands, there's also love and craft. But, you know, ultimately, ultimately, most people don't care. <laughs> I mean, if we get down to what what was this really is going still on, hands, right? So this isn't robots. This is somehow taking the experience, skill, and cost of somebody who's a master at their craft, let's say, 
yeah. and putting in the hands of somebody who's getting paid minimum wage potentially to be able to produce that dish at that. So there's technology and human error potentially in this. So what do you think about that? Where where is where is the worth in the risk today? Let's say today versus when it becomes at scale and when it becomes something that is that is tried and tested. Are you are you testing that today? If you I test it for free, but I'm not, <laughs> I'm not gonna pay for it. Yeah, right. And what if like, what if somebody leaves you a one star review because of it? They leave me a one star review because we have a robot. No, because you are using Cloud Chef to execute your ribs instead of your team and that's inferior i mean i think i think we overthink the entire process as somebody of that course believes, that's what we're here to do if somebody that believes in story as much as i do i i am i love the fact that we share all of the secrets of what we do and our barbecue and our process and our old hickory our smokers bernice the pit master like i love that fact and we Shout will out. continue we'll continue to to lean on those stories but ultimately 90 percent of our customers don't give a shit they want great ribs and they want it consistently well that's what it comes down to if you taste if if you put them side by side yeah they taste different somebody's gonna be like oh it's the robot you know when it could not be you know what i mean i think you if you if they start to that's think the challenge that time oh i like it i mean did did the did the robot send out kyle's bad avocado <laughs> no a human sent it out so what are we, you know, what are we talking about? Remember, it's still a human. It's not a robot, this technology. It's still a human that's sending out. I don't out. understand. So then how does it work? Yeah. How does it work? You should see the 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 picture. It's this whole it's this whole setup where they're basically capturing every step, every microprocess, every temperature, every time, every moisture content, everything that it takes to produce this dish. They have a machine capturing that. They have computers capturing that. Oh, yeah. Then the AI spits it out in a way that somebody who's never touched that ingredient, never touched that dish before, doesn't know a vindaloo curry can then produce that dish step by step by step. And it walks them and talks them through it, basically, is my understanding I mean, of that technology. When you when you break it down like that, I think of any anybody like a Michael Jordan. You can have a machine analyze how Michael Jordan shoots a shot. Yeah. You're not going to have some average Joe just come and shoot a turnaround fadeaway the way Michael Jordan does. Like it's where, just not. That's exactly happen. it. That's where's that's the not skill happening. level. It's not going to happen. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Happen. So that's that's where I think it's different. It's not the robot. It's the ability for the technology to translate from somebody right. at a high skill level down to somebody with quote-unquote no skill level which i don't think is necessarily the case uh with training Build a better training training program is a great idea yes absolutely I, yes. I want more video more video and more opportunities to to systematize the things that we do in real life absolutely that's josh was uh, right on wholeheartedly in that kind of technology i thought it was more like watching yeah. film yeah, like yeah. studying film in sports is what it felt like that you could do instead of trying to take away the chef or take away the skill or commoditize those specialty skills and so yeah i think there's a lot of it's it's watching film can you train even that that chef to be like see here you had an opportunity to change your time and temperature by point blah 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 blah, blah and turn it into something that was significantly more impactful to the final results so i think there might be something there and and to that degree i think there was something in kind of leveling up 
Uh, we got a comment uh, when I did a video on this from uh, Victor Clarence Stildale on Facebook said, what if everybody gets better at cooking? Does that push us cook chefs out or does that allow us to adapt and level up ourselves? I mean, UFC evolved fighters, right? So same type of I mean, thing. Look what, like, look what, look what Ikea has done for, for drop shipping, for building furniture. I mean, my wife and my daughter literally just built a strawberry little raised strawberry flower bed from Costco. Like they built it themselves. There was an app that they downloaded, a QR code that took them to an app that had an interactive way to, you know, build this stupid strawberry. It's not a stupid strawberry. I'm sorry. About that. Oh, it's a beautiful, oh, amazing strawberry box that I can't build myself that my wife, who is who is much better at building than I am. But we're never gonna see Sean again. Keep keep going. I'm done. I'm keep done. Keep going. First thing to do to get out of the hole, stop digging. I'm done. <laughs> Put down the shovel. All right. Let's get into this next little bit uh of uh, of tech stack here. So Olo partners with Deliver That, allowing customers to take catering to new heights is from Yahoo Finance. Olo, we've talked about a couple times before. Deliver that is interesting. And and one of the reasons that I grabbed this, Sean, I was interested in how you've thought about going into catering so this is not for catering companies really it's for restaurants who are looking for logistics not for on demand but somebody looking for catering lunch to their office building for example and doesn't have a truck like you have that then can have the mobile billboard going there and they can do the whole execution fulfillment so they have individuals who then are coming up picking up that product and are able to go drop off and even set up as part of their process as well. And I believe they have like uh, 15,000 drivers. They're in all 50 states in Vancouver. So Sean, give us some ideas here as restaurants are thinking about, you know, the to-go food, but they also need to be thinking about catering because a lot of opportunity there and potentially less markups than some of the uh, third-party marketplaces. Well, I'll make a breaking news announcement on Restaurant Idea Factory, and that's we've just partnered with Fuda. So FUDA is here in San Diego, and they are a tech company that essentially brokers deals for restaurants to get more catering out. So they do pop-ups. Um, one of the pop-up locations that they have in San Diego is Amazon. So literally an Amazon fulfillment center, Cali Barbecue, is going to be doing pop-ups uh, twice to three times per week. And I will report back to Restaurant Idea Factory on how well that goes, because our goal is to sell more barbecue to more people. And the cool thing about Fuda, the cool thing about companies like Easy Cater, and I know there's a lot of companies out there, but an in independent restaurant, a small restaurant group doesn't have a sales force to go out and sell catering. Like we want more catering orders. Absolutely. Catering is way better than opening up our doors and just hoping that people come in and buy barbecue. I want to sell barbecue in bulk and I want to get the money ahead of time. So if we can get money ahead of time, then I'm going to use company like Fuda, use a company like Easy Cater, um, because it's going to help us sell more barbecue. Selling more barbecue, Kyle. What do you think? I think it's about you know meeting some people where they are. The convenience factor, you know, you could probably charge a little bit of premium for that stuff too. I mean, I think that small format catering is a huge opportunity, even less than just huge. Like what what Sean is talking about, like. I love the idea of like subscription-based catering. You know, you see some of these guys talk about, um, you know, lunch subscriptions, you know, brought to your desk or stuff like that. Anything that can mimic, you know, because you're trying to get a guaranteed per head, right? Like you're trying to understand, like if somebody comes in, they get appetizer, entree, dessert, they spend $35. How can I get something like that that's guaranteed offsite? You know, I think there's opportunities to get creative with that for sure. 
Yeah. Also, you know, I mentioned supply chain again, if you can kind of forecast a little bit better, understand those products, you're sending out less brown avocado that way. right? And so I think there's something to that as well. You can forecast your scheduling with, with labor, your scheduling with orders and the products, your ability to, you know, go through a whole case of avocados within two catering orders in a week, let's say, versus you hope that you go through them and there's two and a half days where they're actually good. And the reality is you only go through 12 each day. So you have no chance of going through that case of avocado. And then somebody's looking at those numbers and going, shit, we're way over on food costs. All right, let's stretch those avocados one more day. And then Kyle and Sarah has to get in a, a scuffle at the restaurant because of it. Like those are the downstream impacts of having to make these decisions because it's really hard to throw those avocados away when you're looking at an avocado being a dollar and 10 cents per it's brutal. Like that's right now, especially more than ever. So I think there's a, a lot to be said about those, those 50 person, 22 people, 112 people, you know, the 1000 to $5,000 opportunities I think are, are going to be really important. And the fact that you have that logistics side also having the setup, that was the one thing I was interested in because you know, the, the taco bar burrito bar somebody's got to set up those chafers they need to be disposable and all that but somebody's got to set those up and light those sternos those those little things like that so the fact that they're also kind of training the the staff that they have these fifteen thousand drivers across the country to be able to do that side of the fulfillment i think is probably important to that because somebody just dropping food at the front door really sucks um so okay but I think that's that's super even super small format without going off premise catering. I think it's an option. I think it's Chipotle. You see these people who are ordering the catering packages as meal prep. Sure. They're saying like, oh. I'll chop it all up. I'll put my rice, my beans, my chicken for five days. Now I'm all set. You know, Ooh, I, I, I thought different. about that. Yeah, through the guys that figure eight logistics. When I was at when we were at the taco place, we just structured our online menu to look different than our in house menu, and it would encourage people like, oh, like hey, you're ordering for a bunch of people. This is how many tacos. This is already the guac and chips. This is already the salsa sample. This is the drinks. Just boom, one click. Okay, it's 80 bucks, guys. You know, each owe me 20 bucks that way. Mm -hmm. And it just, it just made it easy for people. You know, that's super, I guess, like micro catering uh, off premise, but uh, on premise, but off premise, I guess. But I, I think that's another option. I like it. All right. Well, deliver that. Any of those companies in this space, if you haven't thought about the, the meal prep side of opportunity here, I like that a lot because it diversifies those revenue streams, which we know every single restaurant needs to be able to do. And then they can be, you know, Joshua, they can be delivering your jarred hot sauce from Lucha Cantina. All right, let's get into, let's talk one-star review. We're going to talk reading reviews presented by Marquee. Marquee is a one-stop digital operations platform for no-touch digital menu and listing updates. We're going to hear from our guy, Avi, uh, CEO of Marquee. Hey, Riff Raff. Um, can you tell I watched Aladdin this last weekend? I have a two-year-old. Uh, this week, I'd like to revisit the topic of the dreaded one-star review. Dun, dun, dun. Let's say you're a restaurant owner. You've been working your ass off to make sure you're putting out consistently great food and giving your guests memorable experiences. Then, like a normal human being, you open up Google one morning and you find this one-star review. We came in late last night for a quiet dinner. I don't know what was going on, but this place was a mess. We had to go to the bar to order because our server never came. And then our food still took over 30 minutes. There were kids running amok everywhere. Not the dinner date we were looking forward to. 
we won't be back. This is obviously, as a, as a restaurant owner, business owner, it's, it's tempting to just ignore this type of review. It's one upset customer among dozens of otherwise positive reviews. But we all know it's important to respond anyway, right? When you have an opportunity to address an upset customer, a negative experience, talking about why it's an outlier, what your restaurant is doing differently moving forward, what your takeaways are, right? It's so important to get your chance to respond publicly, and let everyone know that you're open and accepting of this feedback and you want to make sure that this isn't the the norm and rather an anomaly. Um, would love to hear y'all's take uh, and hear how you guys would handle this individually and as you know, restaurant owners and experts. Okay, we we started this conversation already with with Kyle's experience. Sean, take it take it further all the way through. How are you responding? How are you reacting? What do we need to do to make sure that this one star review doesn't uh, doesn't bury us? Well, they didn't talk about the food, which is interesting. Um, it goes back to what we talk about a lot on the show: is the hospitality is what people are going to remember, and it's typically what's going to drive them to write a positive review or a negative review. So them not getting a server or being seated in a place where maybe it was close till closing and they didn't get seated where the bartender knew that maybe they were the server, whatever the issue was, the owner needs to address that they failed. Um, service was Definitely. failed. We failed on service and we apologize for that. There's nothing that we can do about other people's children. Um, we have a family friendly restaurant and sometimes families can are ban too, them like house of families, spaghetti in New Jersey. Families are too friendly with how they allow their kids to run amok all over the restaurant, but um, we're not in the daycare business. So, you know, it, it is a fine line. It is a fine line when a couple's coming in, you know, how do you service and segment different groups? Mm -hmm. Somebody that's coming in for a business meeting versus somebody that's coming in by themselves that wants to talk to a bartender versus a family that wants to get food and get fed and get out of there. I mean, there's so many different things that we try to do in our restaurants. Um, but what is important in the one star review is to let people know that, you know, we failed. We, fa we failed by not coming up to your table and serving you. And had we come and served you, maybe we would have known that you wanted it a little bit. Maybe there's a different part of the restaurant where we could have sat you not next to the loud family um, and made sure that you got taken care of. But somebody is going to come to that review. And if you don't respond, uh, that speaks more than whatever you do decide to, to, to fall on the sword. Yeah, listen up, parents. We, I've talked about we're going to have to launch the parenting in restaurants segment pretty soon here because it comes up more and more. And I'll tell the story again, how whenever we go to restaurants, we're just oversensitive and aware of we're a family and the restaurant potentially is expecting us to be messy, to be loud, to be bad tippers, whatever those those expectations or cliches. Bad tippers. Stereotypes. Why are families bad tippers? I don't know. I mean, I think once you start thinking that somebody is not a good customer, you think of every possible way they could not be a good customer. And then I think the stereotype kind of crystallizes itself. We should it's make, we should make a list of all the, all the bad customer types. Yeah. You know, I like it. Yeah. I like it. It feels like, uh, what's his name? Drew Talbert does that a lot where he's got all those different skits he does and he's got, uh, every type of possible customer that you've interacted with, which is, uh, which is exactly what we need. We, thought about a segment called guest like gossip where we just like let servers and stuff talk about their worst guest experiences i feel like What's the guy sean sice the the ikea guy that guy's my favorite oh i don't think i know oh, that where guy. You come, where you come into ikea and ask all these stupid questions Ooh, let's, let's <laughs> tag sean sice in this segment clip 
It's fantastic. That's amazing. All right, what do you think? So, Kyle, for you, I mean, you just you just uh, articulated earlier on the one star experience that you had. Where and how do they respond to you? In the have you ever written a one star review? Is a better question. I don't write reviews really, but I, I I always will if it's a place that I genuinely care about. I'll I'll like I just wrote this person saying, "Hey, love your place." Um, we're there two days ago. Had a rather unfortunate experience. I'd love to share it with you if this is the right format. So let's see if he gets back. It's been he or she gets back. Uh, it's been 19 minutes. No response yet, but through their through their website? No, through Instagram. Instagram. Are they active? Are they active on? Yeah, Instagram? I was about to say, are they posting? Yeah, no, yeah, they're pretty active. Um, let's see when their last post was. Like I mean, this is like thesis stuff here. If they respond to you within the hour and 10 minute show that we're going to have hour and 15 minute, like we need to put that restaurant on a pedestal hundred percent, like, sure. like well, guest host level. Like you get to be a guest host on the show because you allowed us a, a, a thesis moment in real time. But you know what? I'll tell you what, like it's, it's very indicative. So there was this, this group, I would not put in the same category as another group that I DM'd about the same time. And I had said, um, it's this for better or worse, as, not put them in. The no, this, it was about, this was about um, being a guest on, on closed Monday. So I was like, I see you all over TikTok. I'd love to have you on this guy. Let's see how quickly he got back. Just as an example, uh, it's gotta be like minutes. Uh, okay. So I reached that's, out that's to Joshua Binning level rapid response. 1217 and 1222. He replied back. I'm down. So, you oh. know, it's different different people you know different level of engagement but that communication i think is, is is critical i think that's to the point here to the point where this is the downstream effect of all this kind of stuff like this is what happens you just mentioned them and and will you tell us who that is like let's put them oh. on let's put them on the one that responded to you so quickly oh old bagel old bagel old bagel uh, old bagel uh it's okay. like a bagel here in in uh I think they're based out of Jersey, but he does. They wrote like two movies. words. I'm down. I'm down to a message on DM. Yeah. Then, then now you mention them on this show. Now we're talking about them. Now Corey's going to tag them when we put this clip out. Yeah. More people are going to know about what they do and they're all about. And you know, ten thousand people in our industry will hear and see that from yeah. writing two words. Yeah. Again, yeah had how do you buy that kind of PR? You can't. No. We had had and they're going to be on your show. And he's got one of you know, he's it's great. His title, I mean, I'll give him a shout out. His name is Steven. He, he's the founder of this place, Old Bagel. And his title is CEO. What is it? Let me see. CEO, Carb Executive Officer. Oh, so they're all about carbs. Now you read his LinkedIn profile. You know, like, here we go. Follow him on LinkedIn. Oh, I love it. That's perfect. Yeah, no, they just going, Avi. One star reviews. Uh, I mean, nothing but possibility, apparently, from the three of us. If you get a one star review, nothing but possibility there. All right. Next segment. We launched this uh, last week. It was fun. We have these so many pieces of content we share with each other from short form video, from TikTok, from reels, from shorts that just kind of encapsulate little bits and pieces of the industry or people expressing themselves or giving comedic context to the industry. They never really quite make for a segment in them themselves. So we're gonna be showing two, three, four clips during these. So talk, TikTok is this next segment. We got four videos we're gonna show. Uh, this first one was the restaurants versus Applebee's. In my opinion, one of the best 
comedic things within the restaurant space on the internet right now. Let's let's roll that beautiful bean footage. Applebee's, Italian Applebee's, Mexican Applebee's, Chinese Applebee's, under the sea Applebee's, yeehaw Applebee's, Jim Crow Applebee's, special occasion Applebee's. No, I will not explain. Oh, <laughs> so good. <laughs> under the sea Applebee's. That's my favorite. A hundred percent. All right. So good. And then, and then this creator, uh, Ali underscore Gator on TikTok as well as on uh, Instagram, went and basically no restaurant was safe from these videos. So there's I don't know maybe four or five different versions where <laughs> every type of restaurant's gotten hit. Chris underscore J underscore Guzman on Instagram said, "What about BJ's? I work there. So if you haven't, Ali, if you haven't done BJ's yet, make sure that." You give them a BJ's version. And then Kendra Day Shock on Facebook said, Boston Market is cafeteria Applebee's. So people are getting <laughs> into this. Absolutely love Great. it. Thoughts? Kyle, I mean, this is this is gold. Dude, man, I, I mean, it goes back to my whole theory on those uh, all those menu items that I hate, right? Because that's all they are. They're just reimagined versions of... Brussels sprouts are making a comeback in your mind? Yeah, not Brussels sprouts are probably, you know, with cheddar cheese at Cracker Barrel. They're with some... Fucking, I don't know what, and all the other ones. They're the same thing. They just bastardize it across different brands, make it the same. I hate Brussels sprouts with popcorn shrimp at Under the Sea Applebee's. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, you know, um, and not to mention Applebee's, I have a bad experience with Applebee's, which I won't talk about, given my reputation I'm forming on the show. Uh, I mean, lean into it. Own that one star <laughs> review that Sean keeps giving yeah. you about everything you don't like. Some of us, you know, the, over time have dined at establishments that warrant a certain level of expectation. Oh. Folks might not quite be there yet. I totally understand that. So, given my <laughs> background and expertise in that area, I will say Brussels sprouts are over. I like how you flip the in and out uh, refined palate onto Sean here. This is I'm good. Sorry. I like this. Here's, here's what's interesting about me and my experience when I think about these restaurants and many of the other restaurants that maybe fall into this categorization, which may or may not be fair. I've gone to all of them once. I think Applebee's I actually have been to three times because one of my roommates once loved something there and dragged me there multiple times and bought me lunch. The only reason I've been more than once. I go to all of them once because if I'm going to talk shit about these restaurants, I need to know what I'm talking about, not just do it in a vacuum because I'm chef-inspired, Sean. The place, though, that gets me every time was the most uncomfortable experience I've had was not the Bloomin' Onion, right, or any of these other dishes it was at Cheesecake Factory. I'm sorry, Cheesecake Factory. I know some great people that work there. But the only place that I can think of where you wear a white coat, a white pants, a white apron, white shoes is the loony bin until you go into a Cheesecake Factory. And that's what every front of house person is wearing. It made me so uncomfortable, more uncomfortable than reading the 42-page menu. So that's that's my take on on these types of places. I go once, I give them a a proper once over, and then I run for the hills. Sean, what do you think? Has anybody been, have you guys been to Phoenix? Yeah, indeed. Did can you own a restaurant in Phoenix and not adopt a highway? <laughs> <laughs> I hate those things. Seriously. I, it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. I couldn't believe Phoenix is like a concrete jungle. And I'm sorry if anybody's from Phoenix, but like, holy shit. I was like, I've never seen more restaurant advertisements in my life. I did driving like, on the highway in Phoenix. 
I'm like, Phoenix. I feel bad for any independent restaurant oh. owner in Phoenix that can't adopt a highway. Phoenix, you got to stand Holy up shit. for your city. It's Please. at Sean P. Walsh on Instagram. Where are the independents in Phoenix? Let them know what's up. Now, how I do know there's cost? certain places. I want to know how much, does, how much does the adopt a highway cost? Yeah, I, know what it costs. I know there's places in Phoenix you can't go where you have does like five it, choices come, of restaurants come, and they're like all when, Fox Group. When you Fox get Group is now owned by Cheesecake Factory, which is an interesting dynamic as well. When you get when you secure the location next to the Target and the Home Depot, do you get the adopt a highway with it? Is that this is a landlord lease question for, it comes for automatically? Kyle. Now here's here's what it sounds like to me. Now this is the jaded New Yorker. It sounds like somebody's like, hey, look, we can make this happen for you, but you're gonna have to adopt a part of the highway. We can you know yeah. adjust the zoning. We can move the uses. We're gonna need you to you know, pay twenty five hundred a month to adopt the highway. Adopt the highway. That's so. That's funny. right. This is it's, my it's, highway. <laughs> It's, it's, my it's the new it's the new mafia play on well, i mean uh, i how how would i how would i know where the shake shack is or in and out is or mcdonald's is or panera bread is if it wasn't on the highway i mean i would have no idea to exit no idea Wait, that, that just means that they have to like clean that section because that happens a lot in new york like this is our part of the highway we pay to keep it i think clean. so they, they yeah. pay for the roadside cleanup type stuff people out there in the orange jackets I actually have. Right. I'm gonna. I'm gonna ask Derek Walls. Derek Walls is our 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 media pit, our media pitmaster, and actually he Derek he Walls. works for the Adopt a Highway here in San Diego. So I'm gonna ask. <laughs> I'm gonna ask him what's up with Phoenix. I guarantee what's happening yeah, we need Phoenix? a follow up to this segment. 100. All right, let's get into this next video. These are supposed to be short and sweet. Maybe this was a whole segment. We'll rip through these next ones. All right, delivery drone. Let's see what we got here. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> grooving nectar juice uh, bar and flyby teamed up for that i look i think i think we know it's coming i think we know it's happening i i love that it's being ziplined down like it's special forces like going behind enemy lines there i can just see the snl skit or something where it's flawlessly executed like that then the next one it almost like hits a little kid the next one it does hit somebody and then the next little clip it a car explodes because somebody's bicycle landed on it but uh what do you guys what do you guys think about the uh the drones flying over your house i mean who holds the insurance policy for that is that the delivery company the restaurant god like, you went real technical that, right off the bat I mean, that, yeah. seriously, yeah. seriously fly by the chick almost got decapitated by that wire i was watching that oh my god like, holy shit the uh, legal side of me just came out like oh my yeah. god was that a how much was the acai bowl? Fourteen bucks? Like it's not enough. It's not enough. To, <laughs> it's not to worth it to risk life to get your head you severed. Like, lose a tooth. You'll just rather go pick it up. Like I don't want to. Isn't the whole point of logistics to reduce reduce friction and reduce cost? This seems like a very high liability over here. It's some really <laughs> good expensive juice. <laughs> Madness. That's this is the this is the most. I'm not sure about the uh, technology robot thing I've ever heard, Sean. I'm pretty excited about this right now. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how. I mean, I love drones. I'm all in on drones, but, yeah, but drones like, delivering acai bowls with with wires that can sever someone's head. I mean, geez. Still liability. Uh -huh. And plus, like, you like parachute it down, maybe, but not with the the wire. I mean, the wire is just excessive. Well, what about like with you with that with barbecue? That stuff's heavy. 
Yeah, exactly. I'd be dropping, dropping. Meet up a full rack of ribs. Somebody's, somebody's bound to lose a limb. Yeah, tailgater. The food on somebody's head. That's right. What if it was a deliver that catering order that got dropped by that drone, and it's a thousand dollars worth of ribs? You might, you might cause a a full on catastrophe or a five car pileup. That's a good point. Who's going to pay for that? Like that order gets dropped. Who's paying for that? Great question. Didn't even occur to me the insurance side of it. Oof. All right. Next. Uh, these are great. These are just a couple. These next two are a couple employees doing what employees in restaurants do. Let's check this uh, next video out. Julian O'Hara, 76. I love these guys. When they're just stacking plate and plate, you're like, no, they're no, you done. Don't. No, they get two more plates on there. I Come love on. these guys. No, you don't. It's ridiculous. I love them. Knock it off. Love, you love them. them. You haven't owned a restaurant. You're like, oh, I'd encourage this behavior. Use Absolutely. A who's, insur- who's insurance Use for that? They better tray. have a serious massage and chiropractor. Use uh, a care. fucking tray and a fucking tray stand. Yeah, this guy This guy just looks the like he, he saw the robot. This is, this is why the robots are coming. Exactly. 100%. Exactly. Exactly. The amount of workman's comps claims are just through the roof. And then, Uh, how many times these guys dropped a sizzle plate on somebody? I uh, still love them. There's there's superhuman strength. Amazing. Jensen was that guy. That's why you love him. You were that guy. How many fucking plates can I see? Yeah. Look how ridiculously badass I am. Come on. It's always the fajitas, too. They love it. Julio, show us more of those videos. Sean and Kyle love it. They love it. All right. Last one. Who hasn't had to go and uh, and get uh, 20, 20 buckets of uh, twenty pounds of ice to go and getting hazed here? Go to the ice machine, people. Motherfucker, where is it? Where the is it? I swear to God, you laughing, girl? You trying to laugh? This funny? <laughs> the amount of haunted ice machines in in the. Uh, in the catacombs of restaurants in New York, let me tell you, man. <laughs> and they're about a third the size of that thing. Yeah, right. Yeah, those, exactly. those, those steps they're always on the fritz, basement, too. And the basement steps are like 89 degree angle going straight down. You got to go down and up. Yeah, with no slip protection. Yeah, you have to form like a chain of ants to be able to get it back up that, that basically that fire escape. <laughs> that yeah. Brooklyn fire escape. Yep. I uh, love it. Keep. Keep sending those kind of videos. People send those to us. Tag us in these videos. We love it. We want to continue to be able to highlight the context of what's happening in the industry and people making interesting stuff, funny stuff, compelling, informational, whatever it might be. All right, let's get into this next segment now. We're going to talk guest experience presented by Ovation. Ovation is a two-question survey platform for real-time feedback, better online reviews, and happier guests. Let's hear what Zach Oates has to say. For those of you who know my wife, you know that she is a rock star, super amazing woman. One day early in our marriage, I asked her a simple question. I said, how do you know that I love you? Now, I had recently surprised her with a trip. I had sent her on a shopping spree. I had bought her a new art set. And so I was thinking about all these different things that I had done for all these big gestures. And you know what she said? She said that she knew that I loved her because I filled up her water bottle at night. Because she likes to have water at the side of her bed when she goes to goes to sleep. And so I would fill up her water bottle for her before she went to bed. 
And she's like, that's how I know you love me. And I was a little bit frustrated, honestly, at first, because I'm like, hey, my man just spent a lot of money on this. But I really began to understand the importance of the little things. Look, a couple of episodes ago, I talked about how Sunday Swagger wrote me a short note on my receipt and what that meant. It was a little thing, right? But the little things are important because they aren't the big things. We expect the big things. We hope for the big things. But the little things show that the big things are real, you know? I, I was at a restaurant one time and I, I was talking to the owner and I was like, look, I really want to try something new, but I just love what I get every time. I you know, I just can't break away from that. So I went, I ordered, I sat down and guess what the owner brought out to me personally, something new to try. It was a little thing, right? And so other things I've seen restaurants doing are like writing notes on to-go order, remembering what my last order was, uh, writing the thank you card for a large catering order. Those are things that really make a difference because they're the little things. So what little things do you do to show that you care, what are some good ideas for restaurants to do those little things that can drive connection, drive true loyalty, drive revenue? Let's riff on that. Yes, Zach, let's riff on that. When we talked about the uh, the vending machine principle, right? The uh, one candy bar, two candy bar, no candy bars scenario. I, I'm really into this concept, but here's something that maybe goes counter to everything we talk about in so much being digital in our space these days in our thinking every restaurant should develop a postcard program and handwrite notes to guests and the reason for that is because we've gone so digital that i'm always interested in where the where the white noise is where there's empty space where somebody is not fulfilling that and nobody gets postcards anymore except from their grandparents maybe a birthday card but 90 percent of those are digital now as well they get a handwritten postcard with context, right? With, you know, something personal about their experience, the, uh, the gratitude that we have. People are going to notice that. They're going to take notice of that. Make it something interesting and nice that they hang it on their fridge. Like that's going to be a brand reminder. And I don't think enough people are thinking about that space. So as we go more and more digital and need to, absolutely, there's still opportunity for analog to kind of surprise people a little bit. And uh, that's, that's my take. What's uh, Kyle, what's one little thing that a restaurant can do to stand out? I always think it's anticipating, you know, I can't think of one thing necessarily, but anticipating the needs. I guess is always is always big. Like those somebody the other day was like, if you're gonna get the wings, he just immediately dropped down like wet nap type stuff. You know, things that automatically come out. You know, on a higher end restaurants, it's more expected. But I think if you could bring that down to your level of service, I think that's exactly what would drive more more interest in your restaurant, more loyalty in your business is that, oh, they get, they understand what's happening here. Always one step ahead. Um, yeah, in terms of one specific thing, I can't really think of anything wrong. Something will come to me, but that, that's, that's anticipating needs I think I'm always thinking about, right? Because every, every day you go in there, the curtain goes up, the show goes on, it's essentially the same kind of mm. service. How can you get better? You know, so the, the matinee was good, but how can we make dinner better? You know, how, how can we get this so solid that everyone understands that we're in tune with them and, and can provide the best experience possible. Sean, a little thing. What's walk, one for you? Walk outside your restaurant. One of the most powerful things that I ever did was getting outside of our restaurant and understanding we have a kind of a logistical nightmare of where people park at our restaurant. So people parked across the street. 
So eventually on the busiest nights, on fight nights, on NFL Sundays, I would walk outside of the restaurant and welcome people in the parking lot and assist them with parking. The power of going outside allowed us to hire parking support staff, which um, we no longer do because we have a different parking lot. But if you have an event coming up at your restaurant, as you as the owner or general manager, costs you nothing to walk outside and to welcome people as they park. Um, it's a complete game changer uh, for your business. And I love the fact that Zach gets water for his wife because I do the same thing. I, not just my wife, but my kids. It's the little things that matter. It's what Jerry Seinfeld calls the garbage time. Everyone wants to focus on, oh, I need to spend more quality time with my kids. It's the garbage time that people care about. We need more garbage time. Quality time is bullshit. Quality time quality time is bullshit. We need more garbage time. Oh, I like that. Now I got to start making sure I fill up everyone's water bottles. But everyone has those things where you're like, this is just, this is just what I do. And sometimes you don't even realize that there's something that are meaningful and have an impact because I don't think you realize how many other people don't do that. So with Kyle, I think what you're talking about is interesting, like anticipating needs. Betsy talks about it all the time. It's like the number one thing that she does and everything that she does. Speaking of wives being rock stars, shout out to uh, Zach's wife as well, is always anticipating those needs. And sometimes it seems like these simple things, but when you're good at it, like Betsy, it's like fucking thinking 10 chess moves ahead. It is incredibly complex and detailed. And the ability to do that when you make it seem easy, that's like that elite level of hospitality and service. And so, you know, you you made a micro one, like dropping the, the wet naps. Well, what's four moves after that? That's always the the, the heightened guest experience. Well, that's like if the like the Michelin star places when you go and they give the women like that little stool for their purse, you know, like, hey, you probably have a very expensive bag. You don't want it hanging on some hook. You don't want me to take it. You don't want to, so you want to be able to see it. You don't want to interrupt your dining experience. That's key. But I also know that one thing that people often and I, I will judge a restaurant so quick on this. If the person at the door doesn't say goodbye. Like that's the huge part. Like, hey, thanks for joining us, whatever. That's something that's free. That's easy. That's a must. I have to tell you, down here, it, I I would say 50% of the time, no one has said goodbye. That's a miss. That's yeah, a missed opportunity. We kind of had a, a, a three-person rule that you remind me of now. That the goal for every guest that got up was three people said goodbye to them. That was like the, oh, yeah. the goal for everybody. And sometimes they, they turn into a game where seven people would say goodbye because everyone wanted to be on that train. That's culture. Right. Everybody wanted to be one of the three, even if that meant one of three was one of seven. You also, the thing that we did, I remember too, was a black napkins. What's that? Why goodbye? See you next time. There you go. Yeah. Oh, I got you. <laughs> the I don't like goodbye. I mean, I, just to be honest, I just don't like goodbye. I mean, I said, Fair. thank you for coming in. My grandfather was big on that. He always thought that was like a big. Like, thank you, thank you for coming in. We'll, we'll see you again soon. Yeah. See you guys tomorrow. Good, goodbye is like. <laughs> Bye. I don't no. want to ever see you again. <laughs> Never going to see out. you again. <laughs> some of you might get some. Some might get. <laughs> Bye. I love it. I'll leave you one one last one. It reminded me when you're talking about the Mission Star and the uh, the you need hooks under your bar for purses. Every restaurant needs that. But also, we would give a black napkin. We had white napkins. We give a black napkin uh, for anybody that had dark pants on or a dark dress or anything like that because then you wouldn't get that white fuzz all over them so it's just like those little things of awareness what? that were important white and white and black napkins <laughs> what yep yep Seriously? most guests got a, a white do you napkin do that on the east coast a white napkin and a black napkin 
Yeah, yeah. most so mo- a lot of restaurants you go to, you have a white napkin, correct? A, a roll up. I've never seen a black napkin. Oh what? yeah, like we always had a bag of black, black napkins. napkins They're like, up at the host not stand. Like segregating the white versus the black <laughs> napkin. <laughs> it was it was 100 to make sure that that it was an opportunity for us to make sure that somebody says wow they noticed that i had a black dress on that i had black slacks on and gave me a black napkin instead of the normal white you know roll up that they might have or even when we presented napkins at different restaurants absolutely that tiny little thing I cannot tell you how many comment cards this is going back to when comment cards were, were more popular before even Yelp and then open table reviews and Yelp reviews. So many, it was one of the most commented things was those napkins. Those napkins were big, people walking to people, the restrooms, we had a restaurant, two of my restaurants where people couldn't find the restrooms. If you saw somebody with that lost look on their face, you had to go up to them. Even kitchen staff would go, if they saw that in open kitchens, would go and walk that person to the restroom. One of our restrooms was down an elevator. And a server would take them down that elevator and another server or manager would make sure and slide over into their sections. Again, the culture things are important. The napkin was a big one. Also, we would try to find but the opportunity the to feed somebody's meter. Like, where, where did you find the napkin thing? <laughs> like, how did we discover that that was a good idea? Yeah. Like, you literally have to Great order question. two I don't different remember. types of, You have to order from your linen company a black napkin and a white napkin. That's a, yeah. that's a nightmare on itself. And then how, what's your par level? How, I mean, how do you know what, what kind of attire? Sean, we figured it out and I'm it was curious the biggest step of hospitality. I don't know what to tell you. You'd I'm figure it out. curious as hell is how many out. people are wearing white pants to your restaurant. It's not white pants. It's every other thing besides black, basically. And black, you'd give them a black napkin. Okay. Look at how it got us talking. It is the little things, the unexpected things that make all the difference. Black napkin. There you go. I don't know what, here's another one. I thought it was like... You know, when we growing up, it was like, you know, can I get another water? Can I get another water? Then restaurants are like, here, here's the water. I'm just going to leave it for you. We're going to keep re- returning the bottle. Like, when you sense that, some places that don't do that, they automatically will say, these people are housing water. You know, they're not buying drinks, whatever. That's no longer part of the, the, the situation here. But just drop the water. Like, they're obviously going after it. Helps you, helps them. I love that kind of stuff. Well, the worst is places that won't refill iced tea. If you're an iced tea drinker, chances oh. are they need your iced Like, why, why are you waiting? Just go yeah. refill the iced tea. It's like coffee. Like, what are you yeah. waiting for? You know the person wants coffee. Go fill it up. Don't ask them. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. I'll take. I like it. I like it. All right. Next segment, oh, Sleep at Night, presented by Davo. Davo automates sales tax payments and filings so restaurateurs can spend more time on what they actually make money with. This is going to be great. We uh, got to talk to David Joseph, and we are going to really talk about the things, the unsexy things, the things that nobody tells us and they should about running the actual business. Got to talk to uh, David, who's out in Greece. You guys, he's out in Greece. He's showing me like a picture of the Pantheon, like from his window. So jealous. Uh, We laid down some track, though, and we have uh, some different topics we're going to touch on. And this is a little teaser into our, our next new segment coming right after this segment. Uh, but it's a little bit of a of an allude to that. So we're going to be hearing from David Joseph, founder of Davo. The relationship between the restaurant owner and the landlord, it can make you or break you. You want a long, long lease. You're going to go in there and bust your butt to build a business, build a reputation. And 
if for some reason you want to turn around someday and sell that business, it, you need a cooperative landlord to do that, to build a business up and have a two or three, four year lease. And then the landlord turns around and says, wow, you're doing great. I'm going to kick you. I'm going to either double your rent and kick you out because I can get more rent for it. You want to protect yourself. I've had four landlords in businesses. Two were great. Two were terrible. So I'm 50-50. They, they can really help your business or they can really hurt it. David Joseph's stories are like the best. Uh, I think I want it to just like a, almost like a blooper reel because he's, when he's going off on the stories of when he owned restaurants is amazing to me. Love that. So thanks to David for prompting us. Kyle, got to run with this. We've talked about it. Landlord lease location. It's not location, location, location. The relationship you have with your landlord second to none, potentially partners. We've talked about that a lot in your restaurant. Talk about the relationship. I think, you know, restaurants struggle to put themselves in the landlord's shoes, right? It's always like, I'm giving you $8,000 a month. You need to do X, Y, and Z. But I think you need to understand they're running a business, right? That's their expenses against that the same way their expenses against a restaurant. But sure, margins are different and things of that nature. But I think it all comes down to communication. And absolutely, it comes down to the landlord. You can have open dialogues with some landlords some landlords will just hand you a lease this is what we're going to this is how it's going to be and and you know that's it that to me is and to you should be a huge red flag like this is how it's going to be versus hey let's talk about it are two completely different dynamics and when things start to go sideways i mean it doesn't have to be a worldwide pandemic but if an upstairs floor starts to leak into your kitchen or if something falls to your floor or there's some sort of electrical issue who's taking care of it who's paying for it are you able to have that conversation if if things get tight for you you know what what do your options look like you know that's why i always say you got to have the communication and you have to know your lease inside and out it's not your lawyer's responsibility i am a big believer now having made mistakes in this process of really crystallizing and understanding the relationship at the LOI, at the letter of intent level, before you ever even get to the lease, right? That's the framework for what becomes your lease. What happens a lot in restaurants is we go into that process unrepresented. So you do need that attorney at that point. You do need the tenant rep side, somebody who's representing you, like what our boy Kyle here does uh, plenty of times as a professional commercial real estate broker. That's going to be really important because they're going to help you navigate that space. Because once you have that letter of intent, you might be changing some some details, but that's basically what your lease is going to end up looking like. You're going to negotiate certain clauses in there. Absolutely. That's that's the bulk of it. That's the meat on the bone. So you need to really make sure you do that at that point because it's going to cost you a lot more downstream to change all those elements once the, the plane is in the air, so to speak. And that's when you start making concessions that you probably shouldn't. And I remember being in that spot where I was like, I'm going to open this restaurant. I'm going to open this restaurant. We go in. We wanted to be Chipotle. So we're literally across the street from the original Chipotle location in Denver, Colorado, near DU University. I've told this story before. And the landlord wouldn't allow for the potential for us not to be given a, a liquor license because the space didn't have an existing liquor license. And that was a red flag. And we almost missed it. And we almost went in that space because we were so nostalgic about the fact that Chipotle was there and that was who we were looking up to. Turns out the people that went into that space, I knew the owners and they said it was a horrible relationship, a horrible lease. And we got really lucky 
in that, and then we pick another bad lease. But we got really lucky in that scenario of recognizing that that was a red flag that was we were unable to get past. So I think that's pretty important. Sean, any landlord relationships? You heard he's 50-50. David Joseph, I think we've all had some ups and downs. How you how you feel about your landlord relationships? Yeah, I mean, we feel the same way about a landlord relationship that we do with any relationship. Is it's got to be a, a two way street. It can't be somebody that is trying to squeeze you out. It's got to be mm. something where on the front end you have open communication and you're both trying to build business together. Like if you're not both trying to build business together for the long term, because this is a long term commitment, uh, then you're going to run into problems. And Kyle's the best, most qualified person on this call to talk about all the horror stories of Definitely. restaurant owners getting it's above their skis, now. getting in front of their skis and, you know, getting excited about a space and not reading the details or trusting the landlord's attorney and not getting their own attorney or having their cousin who is an attorney look at it, who has no idea about, you know, real estate lease, but is in some other field. Yeah. you got to pay you got to pay the money the, you got to pay yeah. the money that you don't want to pay or you'll pay in the long run i'll yeah, tell you what pay before it's on fire another huge red flag that all you guys need to look out for are when and it, and it goes to play into restaurant owner's ego is when you get an loi from the landlord mm. the landlord's broker is like oh my god you guys would be great here let us send you an offer inexperienced operators are going to be like, oh my God, they really want us in this space. And that feeds their ego. Yes. That offer from that broker is driven from the landlord. There is nothing in that LOI that they're going to send you that is going to be beneficial to you. You may have even showed your cards a little bit in terms of what you're looking to pay. They'll say, look, here's the rent you want. But those, those LOIs, everything in there, things are intentionally left out. Because oh, they're smoke and mirrors, you mean, in that scenario? Yeah. Oh. And you got you got you got to, you got to, you gotta, you gotta have a tenant rep on your side. You don't pay them. You do not pay the tenant rep. It's a weird dynamic. The landlord. Yeah, real quick, them. describe that. That's a good way to take us out of this segment. So describe yeah. that. How? Because people are like, I don't have the money. I can't pay for the attorney, yeah. and I can't pay for the tenant rep. So they go in solo, and they get they get completely smashed in that yeah. in that back and forth. You tenant reps. It's a very confusing dynamic. Work tenant reps work for the restaurant, but get paid by the landlord. So you are, you have no, it's to your, to Sean's point, you want to work with somebody who works with restaurants because they know the dynamic, they know the market, they know the comps, and you want somebody who's protecting your interest. You tell them before you get started, this is what's important to me, makes it a lot easier. Yeah. So it could potentially be 6% that's going to be, get paid out on the broker side. And that can be a 3%, 3% split for that. Right. So when you see a four lease on a building with a phone number, just know that that broker is not on your side necessarily. So you need to make sure that you find that tenant rep. I think that's a good good way to take us out and a good way to take us into our new segment. As Sean mentioned, we have the absolute right person to help guide us through restaurant real estate. This new segment called Get Real. Kyle's going to be guiding us through a lot of the, the, the headaches, the nightmares, the horror stories, what's happening now and into the future and uh, he's got some insights into a lot of what's happening. So we have two little mini segments we're going to get into within this. Uh, first thing we're going to call out is from Fortune. Morgan Stanley analysts are forecasting something worse than in the great financial crisis for commercial real estate. This is by Elena Botros. So this was from 
Uh, Lisa Schaut, Chief Investment Officer for Morgan Stanley Wealth Management. They said that more than 50% of the $1.4 trillion in commercial mortgages will need to be renegotiated in the next 24 months when new lending rates are likely to be up by 350 to 400 basis points. I don't even know what that means. Alarmingly, regional banks accounted for 70 to 80 percent of all new loan uh, originations in the past cycle with all eyes on the sector after the historic implosions of Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank. Tell us what the hell that means, Kyle. <laughs> well, I mean, to me, so few restaurants own the property that they're in. But what it means is that their landlords could be in some serious trouble. So what you need to do is read your lease. So um, I don't deal too much with, with the investment sales side, but what I can tell you is mo most of you guys are in a property where a landlord probably owns more than one. Uh, and maybe we, even if they don't, you're going to want to make sure you understand what happens to your business if they default on their mortgage. Because if you don't have a non-disturbance clause, that means when he's out, you're out. So... Say that again. I, we need to hover on that. That terminology, non-disturbance, people need to know that because I didn't know what that was. I think yeah. a lot of people, business interruption has come up a lot with COVID. Those are some of the phrasing you need to be hyper aware of. Say that again. Yeah. yeah. So I, I actually just did an Instagram post on this. Is if the landlord can't meet their obligations, like you don't really have transparency into where they're at with how much rent they're paying or, or how much they're paying on their mortgage. Are they, uh, are they current? Right. You don't know this. Um, but if they do get into a situation, you want to make sure you're crystal clear on what your options are, because if he is somehow, he or she is somehow in default on their mortgage and the bank has to take that property back, that could very well mean you're out of business. Regardless how busy you are, regardless how up to date you are with your rent, that's a very severe situation. Probably not very many of you are in that, but there are, you know, it's like anything else. There's a range to it of what it could be. Well, there's um, thousands of restaurants that are in that scenario for sure yeah, right. not hundreds of thousands but thousands of them and that'll have a huge impact depending on where and how and in some markets that may be a standard practice that's just been adopted by wow. so many landlords and so many brokers that a whole a whole market could kind of implode on itself because that's become a, a speculative standard of doing business and here's a little behind baseball you want to you want to find out you want to see what the deal is go to your county clerk's office look to see if your property is has any kind of liens against it god forbid that it does right so you get nervous instead of freaking out you have an opportunity now go to the landlord and say hey look get a little homework hope you know you're not offended found out what the situation is here if there's any way I can purchase the property to help you avoid a foreclosure, a bankruptcy, whatever, mm -hmm. I would be interested in talking to you about that. You know, it, you got to protect your ass. So if if he she gets pissed off that you did a little research on the property, whatever, you, you're trying to figure out what you know you were right in doing it. So it turns out, and if you were wrong, great, but just know what your options are. There's two interesting things that play into this that I've come across. Number one, a lot of times your landlord has a stipulation in the loan from the bank, a Silicon Valley bank or a signature bank that says they can't actually reduce your rent. A lot of people dealt with this in COVID. They can't, from the terms of their loan, reduce that because the bank is trying to insure that money. What then happens is a lot of people own multiple locations and they will leave them empty for either that reason, because they can't fulfill them at a lower number, even though that property has proved itself to not be at the, the market value that they are expecting it to be. And second is a lot of them are taking losses on it for tax purposes. 
they yeah. they have some dogs and some ponies and the dogs are sitting empty well now you're running in a cash flow issue losses are losses but if you're not cash flow positive on the other side and you have 10 properties and, and four of them are left empty and they're sucking the actual cash flow out of that business as a whole of a 10 property landlord that's when some of these numbers are going to come due and they don't have the cash flow right. but on tax paper they look good because they've been they've been claiming losses for those yeah. unfulfilled properties i have one right on the corner here that's been empty for three and a half years yeah right so I'll big one there I think no, one other thing is check your co-tenancy clause if you're in a shopping center because yeah. you may have in there, if you're in a shopping center, there's a Target, there's a Whole Foods, there's a Kohl's, there's a well, big national tenant that presumably was a draw, one of the reasons why you might have gone to that center. Sure. If they leave, you might be entitled to a rent reduction. So check that out. Brutal. All right. Last bit for the day. So we have bankrupt Burger King franchisee Meridian closes 27 restaurants. This is from Restaurant Business Online. The company is shuttering locations in Minnesota, Utah, Montana, Kansas, Nebraska, and North Dakota may close more restaurants. This is one of two big uh, franchisees that are closing locations. I mean, Kyle, you shared a map with us that just, it was bright red with pins of closing locations. I think Sean and I were fucking shocked by how many are closing uh, the usual things not enough business is is a big one labor costs all the normal things but this is it's pretty massive so what is what does this mean yeah so I've, I've been doing some digging into these just for business purposes right if i could find a tenant to go into these spots uh would be great but you know a lot of these landlords a lot of these you know burking obviously is a real estate department this whole job is to track what's happening here so this didn't happen overnight um you know a lot of them are going to turn into conversions they'll turn into popeyes they'll turn into something else they'll make sure. some deal with somebody else but uh some won't you know here in new york a lot of these um it hasn't hit here yet but the, the brand working has been on decline for a while so it's been on a lot of people's radar there's some mom and pop landlords that own some out partial burger king spots in brooklyn and queens and it's um it's evolution right somebody's gonna take it you know there have been a lot there are plenty of concepts that that can scoop up great real estate and, and make use of that uh, drive through Some might not even be restaurants. Cali barbecue drive-through, Sean Walshev. Absolutely. Yes. Just know, so, right? Do it. Yes. <laughs> it's already been brought in, and they will have the Cloud Chef AI robots making the ribs there as well. This yep. is interesting for me. So this is I'll, I'll shout out my wife again. For over a decade now, we've had a concept in mind that well, just leak here, and I am constantly constantly every once in a while i look at drive through real estate space because we want to open a drive through salad concept because betsy is always the type who's like i want a big delicious salad and so many places fall short and especially as a mom like taking the kids into that spot to go pick up that salad is like devastating to her it's like no never mind i won't do that and so the, if you can get a big delicious salad as a drive-through so now all of a sudden there's all these drive-through spaces i told her she's like are we let me know how much it is so who knows you might see a drive-through salad concept coming soon we need that level of uh of food because especially again a lot of a lot of mothers that drive-through is a huge benefit for them and the food options and drive-through you know are generally garbage sweet green's giving that a shot right i think they have a couple drive yep 
Yep. They got a, they got a few of them. I think that's still like a pilot program and stuff. They're opening a lot of locations. I know that are not, but uh, I think that's going to be, it's be important. The hard part of that is the production of salad takes up a lot of space. Greens take a lot of space and walk-ins, things like that. So the footprint is big. Uh, so I think you need to be thinking about like production space and then retail space potentially separately to, to manage a lease expectation. But do you think, do you think we're going to see more, right? You saw the McDonald's is downsizing. They're not closing stores, but downsizing staff and recentralize their headquarters is, is fast food in trouble a little bit. I, I mean, I think if the Burger Kings of the world, you know, I think they're the, the unhealthy options. You know, I was going to light on that for a long time, but um, I think they just may realize they don't need as big of a footprint to do what they need to do and just downsize and serve the customers in a different way. They like, they like I forget who I had on my show, um, a tool suit from Kitchen United used to work as part of the McDonald's tech team. They're like 10 years ahead. Like they're not, they, this is not something that they're just like, Oh shit! What are we gonna do? This is happening now. They've anticipated this, so they're they, right. some might be strategic store closures, underperforming franchisees, things like that. I mean, that's the type of inside information that will be helpful to a lot of people like me to know what's happening. But that's why you gotta stay ahead of these things, even as a small restaurant. Just look at what they're doing, and then you gotta pay attention on your scale as to how important it is to your business. Yeah, it's gonna be generational too. Like Gen Z wants to have nothing to do with Burger King, right? There's, there's that. And so Burger King didn't talk a lot about any of the footprints, infrastructure, any of those things. They talked about marketing. It's the biggest thing they talked about was brand and marketing with, with this exposure of of a weakness in their brand. So they're gonna have to do a lot on that front. They're gonna have to get on TikTok and start to get kids these days excited sure. about a charbroiled Whopper, like. You know, they don't even know what the hell that is because oh, they have not done a good job of connecting with with the next generations. They, they're they stuck in 1972 and they were hot shit. All right, guys. Amazing show. Love that we get to launch this. I think there's going to be a lot of get real segments. So if you're into restaurant real estate, make sure you're continuously checking that out and go over to YouTube. YouTube is exclusively the place that we're taking each of our six to seven segments on a show, cutting them into their six, 10 minute segments and you can just watch that segment so if there's interesting segments to you if tech stack is important if get real is important if guest experience is important to you you can just watch those micro pieces there and be able to to consume the things that are most relevant to you at this moment as always go to restaurantideafactory.com hit us up on social so many people are doing that sharing with us what you want to hear us riff on what we need to be talking about what we need to be aware of what's what's happening in the industry so keep letting us know how we can do better as well fellas Great show. Appreciate you as always. Let's uh, let's kick some ass this week and uh, have a great show next week. Cheers, everybody. Appreciate you guys. Peace. Subscribe to full episodes Fridays at 4 p.m. Eastern on Facebook, YouTube, and LinkedIn.